Welcome, welcome. Episode 60 of the BS of the Suns podcast here on brightsideofthesun.com. Chris Abbas, as always, we're, we're not three-man weaving it or two-man fast-breaking it or anything like that. It's just me, and we're actually joined by Golden State of Mind and Swish Appeal's uh, head mind of basketball, I guess you can say, Nate Parham. He's going to be talking WNBA, maybe a little bit of Golden State Warriors with some of them in the news here recently. And uh, we're going to kind of all-encompassing. This is going to be a lot of WNBA and a little bit of NBA mixed in and have some fun with this podcast. But first and foremost, Nate, how are you doing? And thanks for jumping on. Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Anytime I can have you on to talk WNBA, it's always a treat. And I mean, talk about treats. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to throw softballs at you here. Saturday, I'm in attendance. So I'm one kind of audience member the WNBA is looking for. And I got my experience. You were watching it from home on TV and you were a different kind of audience member they were reaching out. So question for you, did they accomplish their mission in selling their product to the TV audience from what you observed? Uh, from what I observed, uh, I, I'd have to say so. I mean, I, I think you're well, the one thing that you need to prove if you're in the WNBA right now to, to fans is that the game can be exciting. And I, I think just that the way Schimmel was, uh, you know, Schimmel's creativity is just so valuable in terms of marketing the game. And I think it was on display. Like, the All-Star game is the perfect atmosphere for Shoney Schimmel uh, because, you know, there's no defense being played and she is not afraid to pull the trigger on threes. And she just has a flair about her that I don't think, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, this may be going out a little, a little bit, but, you know, I was thinking she's probably the most creative player in the league right now. And she isn't allowed, allowed to do a lot of that when she's uh, playing for the dream in the regular season. And so I think that really, that platform was perfect for her. But then also you got a dunk from, from Greiner. Uh, and there were just a number of great plays. I think once they started playing defense in the fourth quarter, I, I mean, just the the effort that the players were putting out there to win that game. Uh, some of the plays the veterans made, you know, catching had the game winner. Subert had a big defensive play there. I mean, that's just that was the, probably the game at its best in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, you can quibble with who was there, who wasn't, uh, snubs and all that. But I think for for the TV audience on ESPN, uh, the WNBA probably doesn't get much better. Yeah, I, I think outside of uh, Deladon, there there really wasn't much quibbing to go on at all with who was on the court and based on what they did when they were on the court. I mean, everybody had, in some way, shape, or form, a great performance overall out there. And, I mean, for the fans that didn't watch that game, you know, go back if you can, find highlights or whatnot. But am I crazy in saying that basically Shoney Schimmel in that game was like the entire three-week uh, atmosphere of Lynn Sanity out in New York in one game. I mean, she it, <laughs> it really was, yeah. though, right? <laughs> it was. It, it was really crazy. was that she kind of came. I mean, the, the funny thing is, about, like you know, people who are following the game really closely. You know, her minutes are declining. I mean, she she is she's a bench player. Uh, she started out really hot, and since then, you know, she played. I think I want to say she played less than twenty minutes combined in her last two games before the All Star break. Uh, so. You know, it, it came out of absolutely nowhere. And I, I think, you know, people would say, not to go too deeply into Lynn, but, you know, people would say that it was just the circumstances there in New York at the time that came together perfectly and he took advantage. I think Schimmel just, you know, she took advantage of that opportunity to show what she could do. I mean, whether or not that translates to what they do with the dream is another story. But, I mean, that, that was, you need a surprise, right? You need something unexpected to happen to make us to make a game like that work. And I, I think it did. Yeah, definitely. You know, and you know, Lynn with his jersey sales to translate to Schimmel with her jersey sales, number yeah. one in the WNBA yeah. right now, and huge, huge Native American following. And and the game being out in Arizona didn't hurt um, with, right. with the big, big population we have. And 
I was talking to, there was a, a couple of late people out here covering specifically for Native American magazines and coverage and news, and, and they just said that it doesn't matter what tribe they're in or what, what kind of affiliation you have, everybody is 100% behind Shoni Schimmel when it comes to basketball, right. which is awesome. Right, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, she had her huge performance. I want to switch gears over to the Western Conference's big performance, and it was from a player that I know you don't give up on someone after one year that you just don't right. do it. And Skylar Diggins had a very, very subpar pedestrian rookie year. Yeah. And this year, not just the all-star game overall, she's playing phenomenal basketball. You mentioned Sue Bird's great defensive play. Diggins was the benefactor scoring the game tying bucket. What did right. you think of Skylar Diggins play and just how she took over that game? Well, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right about not giving up on someone in one year. And we have to remember uh, the thing I always like to tell NBA fans or general basketball fans is that Skylar Diggins is essentially what, a 52 games to her career or so, uh, you know, for, for an NBA rookie, they get so much more time. And she had, I mean, let's be honest, she had a bad 30, 34 first games. I mean, yeah. they, they just were. And you would never write off an NBA rookie after, after that much time. And I think, you know, you could just say, it was a, you could chalk it up to small sample sizes. She worked this offseason. Uh, you know, a lot of people criticized her for not going overseas to play and, and staying here and doing all the marketing stuff with Chasey and being a celebrity. Uh, but she obviously put in the work she needed to, and the big thing for her was strength, and she got that strength that she needed, and you see the way she attacks the basket. She's relentless. Uh, people have a hard time staying in front of her, and she's, I mean, she's another example of, you know, the league needs that. The league needs a dynamic player who can who can break you down off the dribble and get to the bucket, and this year she's just been, you know, you don't like to use the word, word unstoppable too much, but, you know, as WNBA guards go, right now she's, there aren't many who are stopping her um, without double teams. This might be a little bit of blasphemy for the people in Phoenix that are listening to this, but watching the game live, I was sitting um, underneath the basket where the West was pay- um, facing at the second half, so I got to watch all the West plays at the end of the game firsthand right there. Is there a better all-around player than Maya Moore in the world of women's basketball right now? Uh, you know, because I'm talking to a Phoenix fan, I, you know, all-around player, I'd still have to give it to Tarazi. I think just... Um, and we're, we're still probably talking offense there as well. And Tarazi's ability to handle the ball, move to point guard this year, and she's played point guard in the past. But the ability to pass, dribble, uh, score score off the dribble, uh, probably makes her a better all-around player. Uh, but Maya Moore is probably the best scorer we've seen uh, in a while. I mean, I'm not going to say ever, but uh, this season she's putting together is among the most dominant in league history. I don't think that's much... Uh, there's probably not much question about that for a wing player uh, that she's that dominant, and she's my choice for MVP. I, I, I'd still probably give it if we're going to talk about all around skill wise. I'd still give it to Toronto right now. Yeah, I don't think you go wrong with either of those two, and obviously yeah. Maya Moore is not as long in the tooth as Diana is in terms of years played, but just just watching her play live, and I've seen it with the Minnesota yeah. Lynx coming to town a handful of times, but. It's just it's just something to watch. I mean, the WNBA, is, yeah. it's almost like, and maybe you can agree or disagree with this, but it, it reminds me a little bit of hockey where it may not be as appealing as a TV sport, but when you get in the arena and you watch it, it's exciting basketball. And, and that's, I right. mean, whenever you watch Maya Moore play Diana Taurasi, it's it's pretty awesome stuff. Um, right. So switch the focus over to the local girls here with uh, the, the Phoenix Mercury, which is why we're talking. Diana Tarazi starts, Brittany Griner starts, Griner gets a dunk, Tarazi throws up a few shots, and then she throws her warm-ups on, and that's a night there. Um, <laughs> was it, was you, do you feel that that was kind of pre-planned by uh, the coaching staff with Phoenix and, and Diana and everybody that was like, all right, we're going to go out there, I'm going to smile for the cameras, I'm going to wave at the local audience, and then I'm going to go ahead and sit down the rest of the game? Right. Uh, I mean, I, I felt as though she was – I don't know if you saw the, the broadcast after 
late at halftime interview with her, and, and she was clearly, uh, to put it nicely, disinterested. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think there was certainly something going on with Tarazi. You know, I think they asked her what she was thinking about. She was like dinner afterwards. I mean, I, I don't think she was. She's been there before. And I think the same thing with catching. They interviewed catching, so she was just kind of like, you know, there's no defense being played. What's going on? You know, so like, I think the vets were sort of took a step back in this game and let the young, let the young guns take it. And I think that was a good idea. And I think it worked uh, in terms of showcasing the league's young talent, which is something that doesn't happen very often in the league. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I think Tarazi was just sort of like whatever. Yeah, and I think that Diggins was the benefactor of that. And if you didn't have a Diggins performance, maybe you get Diane out there late in the game. And but I mean, with with who they had on the court, everybody performed, produced, and did amazing things. With Diana sitting out and. You know, right. like you said, you know, been there, done that. It's like if Kobe Bryant goes out there, makes an all-star team, Correct. throws up a couple shots, Correct. and then just kind of says, "Go get them, young guys," um, right. which you right. don't really see in the NBA uh, right. exactly. as much as as much as maybe you'd like. Uh, so the other the other of the three all-stars, we got Griner's dunk, which everyone was super excited for. Maybe Shoney Schimmel should have thrown that alley oop off the backboard to Griner, um, not to <laughs> not to Angel Bacatri. Uh but. You had you had Candace Dupree go out there, and Candace was Candace. She went out there and she rebounded the ball. She played smooth. She took a couple of shots and scored a lot of points. Like it's it's hard to appreciate what she does. You have David Lee out in Golden State, so I'm sure you can appreciate <laughs> what Candace Dupree does on that level with someone that just gets rebounds and scores and is kind of unassuming. Yeah. Was it nice to see someone like that in the All Star game, not the flash and the razzle dazzle? Oh yeah, I, I think so. And I, honestly, I, I enjoyed Catchings playing out there. I mean, Catchings I and mean, Catchings was still like you know she was playing her game, and I think we were talking about all around players. I mean, Catchings is up there just because of her ability to defend so many positions uh, and do. I mean, she's playing the four now, and to be able to defend so many positions, lead her team to a title that year after when they were injured, um, she can do it basically a little bit of everything in a way that most players can't. Um, so for all around players, she's in there. I think her players like her and Dupree, uh, you know, they're they're. <laughs> I don't think All-Star games are probably their, their best setting, but you're right. They pretty did some things, and I thought Catchings, uh, you know, obviously made a big play there. So, uh, you know, it's good to see her. I, I think Dupree is, is a player that's hard to appreciate uh, because she plays – I mean, this is a skill that I don't think Catching fans appreciate. She plays so well off her teammates, and, and the All-Star games can turn into this kind of one-on-one free-for-all uh, that I don't think benefits her that much, but uh, – the David Lee thing is interesting. If we get to talk to about Warriors news, but uh, yeah, I mean, I like I like to be a lot. Overall, last impressions from the All Star mm-hmm. game. Like I know we talked about a lot of the highlights and pretty much everything. What were your lasting impressions of the game as a whole? You know, you know what's funny is you know it's an All Star game. I mean, it was sloppy for most of it. I think uh, the first two and a half quarters, maybe it was more like whatever. It was an All Star game. Uh, and that last, the amazing thing is like that last few minutes of the fourth quarter and then the overtime, you know, it's really the only thing you remember. And like, for, it just overshadowed everything. It was just that exciting to see players going back and forth like that uh, for all the skill of the league to be shown off. So yeah, I think it's good. I, you know, I think the big question for some fans, you know, the diehards are always wondering, what does this mean for the future of the league and the strength of the league? And, you know, realistically, someone might tune into a game tonight or tomorrow and not see all that and say, what the hell did I just tune into after seeing that all-star game? But I think it just shows the league, is as an entertainment, uh, as, as something that's for entertainment is, is kind of growing in that regard. And I think people, some of the old myths about it are sort of being dispelled. I think so, too. And my lasting impression was something that nobody saw on camera. Um, I got to see it offhand, <laughs> so I was sitting directly next to him, which was 
for the last five minutes of the game and all of overtime. I don't think Marquis or Marcus Morris sat down. And there was a couple of plays that Skyler, <laughs> Skyler Diggins and Shoney Schimmel made. I forget which one made the play, but Ish Smith turns around and looks at the Morris brothers, and Markeith looks at Ish and goes, you can't do that. And Ish goes, nope, <laughs> which I thought was the funniest part of the entire day was, uh, was Ish basically going, nope, I can't do that. You know, that girl just did something I can't do. <laughs> right. right. Uh, yeah, no, that was that was definitely it was fun stuff. I mean, it was great to soak in live. And um, to switch gears and talk WNBA big picture here this season, sure. Uh, Atlanta, the number one team out in the Eastern Conference, speaking of Shoney Schimmel, and the Minnesota are playing tonight. The Phoenix Mercury go for 13 in a row tonight. And you got a lot of stuff going on, you know, big matchups that are going to happen. There's only about 13 to 15 games, give or take, between each team remaining overall for the season. What are you looking forward to? Let's start off at the Eastern Conference. Is it pretty much status quo? You expect it to kind of stay how it is? Or which teams do you expect to kind of rev it up? Well, I mean, one is, you know, Cashman's had played six games entering the All-Star break because she was injured. Um, so she kind of pulled the Penny Hardaway there a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, so I think I think Indiana's just going to get better. Right? And they're second right now. And, you know, whether or not they catch Atlanta is another story, but uh, they're definitely going to get better. Uh, and then at the bottom, you know, the bottom's interesting as well. You know, Deladon, as you know, and I'm sure you heard, is, is out with Lyme disease. Uh, and they're not sure when she could come back, but if she comes back, that's a game changer. There, and the bottom of the East is really is really packed. Uh, so she Chicago could, depending on when she comes back, they could rise a little bit, or at least make it hard on some other teams. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, then you got Washington, New York, and and Connecticut. Uh, New York was just kind of making a charge after a slow start to the season, but it's hard to say what they're going to do. And then Washington and Connecticut are relatively young teams who are just playing hard and giving teams every team they play a, a tough competition so you know i think the bottom is, is going to do have to do a lot with health injury and uh you know whether or not new york and whether or not a, a belladon comes back is going to be a big difference and i think indiana's probably the team to me to really keep an eye on as a team that could be better than the, in the playoffs than they are right now yeah and i think i mean chicago just think of it this way six games ago they were 500 and today they're right. six games under 500 so exactly completely different team obviously yeah. um you look at it, there's a lot of teams, and you go to the Western Conference that are it's similar as well, where they're 500 or a few games under 500. And you have Atlanta, who is 15 and 6. You have the Mercury, obviously, with the big record of 18 and 3. And Minnesota, that's 17 and 6. You throw Indiana in there, because obviously catching is a huge difference maker in terms of what the record might look like in the second half. Is it realistically just a four team race, even if Deladon comes back and every team is 100% healthy the rest of the way? Is it essentially a four team race? Yeah, I think. I mean, and, and to be honest, I mean, I think Indiana could make a surge. I, I, I still think you're thinking that looking at a three-team race. I, I, I think, and only because you know, Indiana has a major size disadvantage. And I think a team like Atlanta, even with catchings there, is, is going to make them is going to be able to exploit. Uh, so you're still looking at three teams, and, and Atlanta coming out of the East. I mean, you hate to every year people say this in WB, and every year someone comes out and makes a surprise. Usually Atlanta. Uh, so you don't want to say it's a foregone conclusion, but kind of hard to imagine them not being in the finals again uh so you know it, it won't be boring but i think it'll probably end up as, as we expected minnesota last year um i think they were seven and zero against the mercury five and zero in the regular season two and zero in the regular season the mercury rattled off two wins against them this year but minnesota is kind of what phoenix was last year deep talented but injured and kind of mm-hmm. inconsistent in those games with that that matchup there, what do you what would you expect to see in an Eastern Conference Finals matchup there between those two teams or Western Conference Finals? Okay, um, yeah, 
well, we're, we're going to see if Brunson comes back. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, if Brunson comes back, you know, I, I would, I, oh, man, that's tough. You know, I think, you know, Phoenix is just so difficult to defend. And I, I think with Brunson coming back, that certainly makes a difference, both in terms of how they guard Griner and how well they're able to rebound there. Um, but with Griner in the middle, you have to, you have to accommodate for that. You have to adjust for that. And if everybody else is hitting in the Mercury, on the Mercury side, it's just really hard to beat them. Um, with Minnesota, there's just a huge question mark. You know, there are, I'm sorry, I just said Brunson, but Brunson and Augustus are out right now. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if they get to the Western Conference Finals, they're both healthy. You know, my 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 instincts would be to to go with Minnesota actually, only because I, I think that team just when they're clicking on all cylinders, they're they're just really difficult to stop. But uh, you know, you you couldn't go wrong taking the Mercury to just continue to sweep through the, the league as they've done so far. Yeah, they're they're the third best defensive team in the WNBA in a league, in a year where nobody's really playing defense. To be honest, I mean everyone's giving up seventy five a night and everyone's yeah. scoring eighty a night basically. So yeah. uh, there's a but that huge point differential, ten point differential there. They're scoring eighty five a night, giving up seventy five a night. I mean that's definitely huge. I think that's one of the major indicators, the point differential there that they look at in the NBA for teams that are great versus teams that are good, no matter what their record is. Um, Phoenix is number one in that. Atlanta's number right. two, and then Minnesota's number three. Right, and right. we said it's basically a three-team race, like you said. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it'll definitely be interesting going down the stretch. I, I don't disagree with the three-team race. Indiana will make things uh, interesting, obviously. Yeah. But um, yeah, Phoenix with what they're doing out there, if they can stay healthy, you know, knock on wood, the past three right. or four seasons have been rough for them. But if they can stay healthy and Minnesota goes healthy, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to mind watching, you know, three to five games of that oh, in the Eastern it'll be Conference, great. in the Western it'll Finals. Be great. I keep wanting to it'll put them great. in the East. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it's because if, if, awesome. if those two teams were in the East and the NBA, they would have been in the playoffs last year. That's probably right, why. Right, um, right. <laughs> so, so let's talk a little NBA actually, and sure. NBA slash WNBA mixture here. Laurel Ritchie, um, the president of the WNBA, mentioned briefly. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the the presser mm-hmm. that that happened before the game, but mm-hmm. mentioned Golden State is probably the number one front runner for expansion yeah. with the WNBA, the the Lacobes and the different people out there, and then Golden State have been really big and adamant on bringing a team on. What are your thoughts on adding a WNBA franchise there? Uh, I mean, I think it's great. I mean, I, I'm sure you heard. I mean, they were they were the, the next in line for the Sparks, and then Magic Johnson came in and, and got that team. So I was actually thinking the Sparks were going to be here this season, and that didn't happen. So, uh, you know, I think it's great. I think this is, a, this is a great basketball area. I mean, I think there's a lot of, this, there's a lot of discussion about where they would play here. Um, Oracle is a little bit big and expensive for them to play. Uh, they, there's no way they could, could host a WNBA team in Santa Cruz. Um, but, you know, there's, there is such a well-developed women's fan base. The Lasers used to be here. You know, have Stanford and Cal, who's both women's basketball teams are now, you know, nationally elite. Uh, so there's, there's, there's just a built-in fan base here. And I think everybody would support it. Um, depending on where the location is, that would kind of be an issue, but, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that happening sooner than later. Um, I think it would be very interesting to see how the Warriors' new arena in San Francisco figures into that, whether or not um, the WNBA team will play there, although, again, it would probably be a big spot. But I'm kind of assuming that they're the next in line. It would be nice if you could balance it and add two. Uh, But where that other city is right now, I mean, there just isn't a more obvious owner than than Joe Lake up in the Warriors. Where in adjacent to the Golden State Warriors arena and general area is the Stanford uh, basketball arena? Is that pretty far? 
Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about a 45-minute difference. About, Well, I'm sorry, that's about from my house. I mean, 30 to 45, just being on traffic. Traffic coming up, traffic going from Oakland to Palo Alto uh, during rush hour would be awful. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's doable. The, the fan base in Oakland could get out there if they really wanted to. I, I think you still, you'd still probably see, for the most part, it would be still a San Jose-Stanford crowd if you put it out there. Uh, and it would be a very uh, Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco crowd if you put it in Oakland or San Francisco. Because I'm curious if that would work. Because one of the five teams currently operating in a positive uh, manner, revenue-wise, with the WNBA is the Connecticut Sun, and they're attached to right. the Connecticut Huskies in terms of the arena and right. the fan base. And you know, going out in Stanford, it's a team, as you mentioned, that's that's been in national relevance for a little while now, and right. that would make some sense to maybe create that relationship and also maybe have it attached to the Golden State Warriors as well in some capacity. So. That could right. be interesting. Cleveland was mentioned with LeBron James going back and you know maybe yeah. creating that kind of popularity of bringing a fan, yeah. uh, a team back to Cleveland. Would that work in right. your opinion? Well, I mean, you know, if LeBron, if LeBron blesses anything, I mean, that's it's it's going to happen. Uh, you know, so I think if they could get, uh, I mean, this sounds this sounds so goofy, but it does matter in terms of getting basketball fans in the arena. If LeBron were to show up at a game and say that he endorses it, I bet people would go. Um, now, Cleveland obviously supported the team before. I don't really know. Uh, that's before I was really paying attention to the league. But, uh, you know, there, there's, there is a fan base there. There's, a, there's, Ohio, there's an Ohio women's basketball fan base. So it's feasible, certainly. Yeah, and, and I think that LeBron walking through the entranceway to go sit courtside is a little bit more impactful than Kendall Marshall or Archie Goodwin out here in Phoenix. And I yeah, mean, the, just the, a little. Yeah, the X Factor out here in Phoenix appreciated the Suns coming out and sitting front row um, for free yeah. probably. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a little bit more impactful when LeBron James walks through that curtain. Uh, right. <laughs> I think that could be pretty fun. So the other news with the Warriors, there's there's the really big news, which is obviously Draymond Green and Harrison Barnes getting invited to the select squad for USA Basketball. Then there's that minor news with Kevin Love and potential trades and stuff. But um, So the select squad stuff, though, for Harrison Barnes and Draymond Green, development-wise, I think that's amazing. It's not a huge, huge thing for the organization of Golden State for those guys necessarily to get selected, but development-wise, playing against the Team USA and being in that culture and that environment with that training facility that they're going to have, what were your thoughts on those guys going in there and the development for their games? Sure. I mean, I, you know, I think it was a good experience for Clay Thompson and I, when he when he did it before. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, you know, people will talk about how much they improve. The improvements that Clay Thompson has made aren't necessarily ones that show up in the, the easy statistics. I think a lot of it really is, you know, a willingness to drive, a willingness to look to make plays and take some risks. Uh, he's obviously gotten better as a defender. He was their number one defender on the perimeter last year uh, on point guards to help Steph Curry out. Uh, and so I think all of those things kind of, I mean, did it stem directly from the USA basketball? Obviously not. But obviously when you're playing with the best of the best, and you're getting feedback from guys like Kobe Bryant uh, and all those all the guys that are there. I mean, it helps. And I think Draymond Green is a guy, you know, I remember watching him and, and the training camp a few years back during his rookie year. And that guy is someone, he, he is going to sit and he's going to watch and he's going to soak up every word that everybody says. And he's going to come back and apply all of it uh, this next year. And I think that would be great for him. Harrison Barnes has a ton to prove. You know, I, I, Warriors fans, uh, you know, I think Warriors fans have split about where he is in his development. And it kind of stems from what you felt about him in North Carolina. But, uh, you know, I, I think he has a lot to prove, and this is a good step for him. He was at summer league practices as well. I think it's just a good step for him to get some reps and go up against the best and get his confidence back going into his new year with a new staff and, you know, you know, slightly different roster. So 
I, I think for those two guys, it's, it's probably bigger than we even give it credit for in some ways. You know, we, we think of it as a little thing, but I think those two guys could, were, of all the guys on the roster that could use it, they could use it the most. Definitely, yeah, and I think it's it's huge for player development individually versus yeah. like maybe a team cohesiveness. Like a Draymond right. Green can soak in some traits from other undersized fours and be able to soak that in, and Harrison Barnes can get some swagger and some confidence, like you said, and kind of improve his game. Because I, I mean, no one could question Harrison Barnes' talent. It's just about him actually producing on the court and doing things. Because yeah. I mean, he's a talented kid. He's just got to go out there and actually produce. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you know, I think a lot of it. Uh, you know, he has to improve some things. He has to improve his handle. Yes, to make sure he's shooting on balance. I mean, there's little things. There's just little habits of his that I think that you can clean up. And hopefully, you know, maybe it's a matter of a, a different voice, a different setting, going up against the best of the best. You never know what that'll bring out of a guy. So, uh, fingers crossed. If they don't trade him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you know, maybe a change of scenery is exactly what I mean. Some guys just need right. a change of scenery to be able to kind of develop and and kind of come out of their or develop their wings and kind of break out. Right. But. So, um, quick thoughts on on a potential Kevin Love trade. What is like? I'll just ask you this: What is too much to offer for Kevin Love for this team to remain a contender in the West? Uh, so you're asking a pro Love guy. This is a split in the fan base. I mean, to me, the the Barnes, Clay Thompson, David Lee offer is not too much for Kevin Love, uh, and he's he's an elite player. You don't you don't get a chance to get an elite player very often. Uh, I would. This is you know. I think Draymond Green's versatility. I'd rather leave him out of any deals for Kevin Love. Uh, obviously, I would love for them to take, you know, Harrison Barnes and David Lee or Clay Thompson and David Lee. But, I, you know, you're, you're getting an elite player. And to me, if you if you have the opportunity to do that, uh, you give up, you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to make a sacrifice. Uh, and they would improve. Uh, how much they would improve is, you know, an issue. But I think they get closer to, to real championship contender status. Uh, it's probably moot because it looks like Cleveland's going to get him anyway. But, you know, I was I was all about that. Well, I mean, then you guys should have swooped in and grabbed Malcolm Thomas and John Lucas and Eric Murphy to sweeten up that <laughs> right, trade deal that you guys right, have. Exactly. I mean, come on, guys. Utah, man. Golden State of Utah are this eternal struggle. Uh, Utah screwed us again there. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, wish, I wish there was a – yeah, there was uh, – obviously, ownership feels how they do about Clay Thompson. He was a, he was a talent. There's no question about that. They also value David Lee very highly. The way you value Candace Dupree, I think they value Lee. Uh, Candace Dupree is probably a better finisher at the basket. Doesn't get blocked so often. Tries on defense, but, you know, those are small things. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, well, I think the underrated aspect of giving up the underrated aspect of giving up Clay Thompson in that trade is that you still have Andre Iguodala. And yes, you, so you can yes. go Steph, Iguodala, Love, Bogut, who Bogut has that defensive yep. presence inside and has less pressure on him all of a sudden with Kevin right. Love out there. And then throw in your fourth starter kind of a guy. So, right. or they, got Sean, Living, they guy. got Sean Livingston, who's going to be able to defend, and Draymond Green can defend. I mean, so I, I think this, this idea that if you lose Kevin Love, suddenly you won't, I mean, you lose Clay Thompson, you won't defend anymore. I just, I don't, I don't see that, uh, because I think when I got Livingston, they have Green, they have Iguodala, they have defenders there. Uh, you know, you don't want a five-man defensive lineup. <laughs> so, you mix and match, and I think it would work. But, uh, you know, there's also value to keep. I mean, I think the Suns, you as a Suns fan, know this. I mean, there's value to keeping a team together and letting them grow over time, and adding on the fringes instead of making this huge move. Especially when you got a good locker room guy like Lee, uh, and you got a you know a guy like Clay Thompson who's dedicated himself to becoming a defensive player. You know, those are guys that are obviously valuable for things that don't show up in the numbers. So, you know, we'll live. But how often do you get a chance to get an elite player? I mean, 
we've waited so long. <laughs> I think we're just over anxious now. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by all accounts, Kevin Love is an amazing locker room guy from all his comments yeah. he made about his teammates over the years. Um, but that's neither here nor there from an anti-Kevin Love guy that you're talking to. So I'm not going to spew my venom all over the the Kevin Love love that you have. Um, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go on this because I haven't heard your take on it. I, I probably read it on Twitter at some point. But what what was what's your take on the Steve Kerr regime and takeover so far wow. overall? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm in the same place I was with Mark Jackson when he was hired, which is, uh, I think you got to look at it and say, he's a new coach. They're going to be growing pains. You got to give him a year or two. I, I just, I think that's only fair. I know some people are going to hold him to a fire right away because of where the team is relative to the Western conference. But, you know, I, I give him, Mark Jackson came in actually the perfect time because he came in during a lockout year. Uh, and it was a short sprint. They were terrible. And then, he kind of got like his sea legs, and he was able to jump in the second year. Curtis uh, and then you know Curtis going through a full 82 with a team with championship expectations, and that's tough. You know, um, I think what what's probably the the benefit of a guy like Kerr is he gets along with the ownership. I think he's on board with their philosophy. Mark Jackson was a kind of old seems to be a kind of old school my way the highway guy, and Kerr is a guy that's going to kind of. Uh, He's, he's going to be a guy that's going to work with the ownership, work with the front office, and sort of they're going to be all on the same page, have the same vision. I think that's extremely valuable. Uh, he's got a great, you know, you know, Alvin Gentry, Ron Adams. I think they have a great staff there around him as well with experience, which is something that Mark Jackson sort of rejected. So uh, Alvin Gentry being on the bench is probably a bigger deal, to, almost a bigger deal to me in terms of assessing this year and how confident I am in the team because I think that just gives a guy who knows what to do uh, who's been who's been around successful teams, and that's going to help Steve Kerr a lot. Yeah, you guys were a Channing Fry and PJ Tucker signing away from a coup of Phoenix, and uh, and then we would get to <laughs> lament you like you do with Utah. Uh, yeah. but, <laughs> no, I mean Alvin, Alvin Gentry is a good pickup. I think with Steve Kerr that you mentioned nail on the head. His biggest trait, at least in my opinion, from talking to people that worked with him, is the group think mentality. Yeah. And and being able to pretty much get everyone in a round table, not along uh, not along you know Last Supper type table, and sit at the end. He round tables everything and he definitely takes in other people's opinions and assesses them and does what he needs to do overall based on getting a lot of really smart people's opinions involved in the conversation um but no i'm gonna go ahead and let you get out of here nate i know you're on your way out there to to have some fun and enjoy the rest of your day catching some baseball um yeah yeah i'm not a baseball fan but i go to one a year there you go right you gotta gotta soak it in and get out in the sun once in a while (laughs) Um, so so throw out your twitter for the folks that aren't already following you and where can you read your stuff uh, Twitter is, uh, you can give me at uh, Nate P underscore SBN. And uh, if you want WNBA news uh, from our team, uh, at Swish Appeal. Uh, and for Golden State of Mind, our, uh, <laughs> our Twitter handle is Unstoppable Baby. So uh, follow all of them. And uh, looking forward to both the rest of the WNBA season and the upcoming NBA season. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate you jumping on. Enjoy the rest of your evening. And we'll definitely have you on maybe around WNBA playoffs. Great. All right, man. Good talking to you. Yeah. Again, that was Nate Parham of Swish Appeal, as well as Golden State of Mine uh, covering the Golden State Warriors, Mercury, or WNBA basketball. I'm the one covering Mercury basketball. So, again, thanks to Nate for jumping on. Um, 
again, follow Nate on Twitter as well as check out the two websites, of course. So if you're listening to this podcast on TuneIn, like you found us and you just decided to listen to a podcast about Phoenix Suns basketball, definitely check out brightsideofthesun.com and vice versa there. If you're checking this out on Bright Side of the Sun, you know, click on that little subscribe button down there for TuneIn. It'll shoot you over. Real cool service, basically radio version of Pandora, um, podcasts, live radio, sporting events, so on and so forth. Pretty cool service to be able to stream music and be able to do whatever you want on your phone, on your computer, etc. So definitely subscribe, check it out, share, tell a friend. Um, again, when iTunes likes us, we'll be on iTunes, but so far just uh, we're on TuneIn. You can check out the RSS feed as well in the post that's linked on here. And as always, the post will be thrown up uh, on the website. That way you guys can pull the audio that way. So again, thanks for listening. Definitely appreciate it. Real quick, want to dive into um, the Team USA stuff we talked about there briefly with Nate, with Draymond Green and Harrison Barnes making the roster there. Just to kind of put a bow on that. Trey Burke from Utah, Jimmy Butler from Chicago, uh, Doug McDermott, rookie for the Bulls, Tobias Harris and the Magic, Tim Hardaway Jr. of the Knicks, Victor Oladipo of the Magic, Mason Plumley of the Nets, Dion Waiters of the Cavaliers, Cody Zeller of the Hornets, and Miles Plumley of the Phoenix Suns. So pretty cool. Miles Plumley gets brought in to play on the USA basketball select squad, so not on the actual roster going to the Olympics, but you know, part of the group that's going to work out against them. And for Miles' development, I mean, embarrassment of riches, like I said before, four years at Duke, one year behind Roy Hibbert with Indiana, and then a full year as a starter out here in Phoenix. So, I mean, he's had all different levels of the uh, the potential to break out of that ceiling that everyone thought he had as a senior and a limited player, just this really good athlete that can rebound the ball, you know, at a decent level there um, in terms of percentages and going out there in small doses. But, Miles had a real good start to the season, hit that rookie-sophomore wall. Was it didn't have a great all-around season at the end of the day, but, I mean, for what the Suns got him for and what he was last year and the development that he had, you know, continuing to develop against the best players in the world, getting to go out there and practice against the likes of whatever bigs decide to play for Team USA, so like the Kevin Loves of the world uh, that we talked about, the Chris Boshes, LaMarcus Haldridge, Dwight Howard if he suits it up. DeMarcus Cousins, so on and so forth, like a lot of really talented big men, Team USA structure, Team USA coaching, Team USA organization and training. So it'd be really cool to see what Miles is able to do coming into next season and what he brings to the table after this experience. So Summer League is one thing. It's cute. It's fun. You get to go out there and just jack up a bunch of shots. But this is more of a structured environment for Miles to develop. And I think he's going to get way more out of this than he did the four or five games that he played in Summer League over there with Phoenix. So Real cool thing there for Miles. Wanted to definitely touch on that a little bit before wrapping up the podcast here. If you guys, uh, you know, like I said, you like us, go ahead and subscribe on TuneIn. Go ahead and support us that way. That way we can get as many of you guys on there and you can get the uh, the feed sent right to you. You get the alerts when the podcast comes up. You'll know right when it's there. You can listen to it on your phone while playing around with Twitter and talking about the podcast or keeping up with NBA news. So we'll be back next week, hopefully with some Eric Bledsoe news probably with some Kevin Love news. The NBA is going to be pretty much quiet except for those two guys. We'll see what happens and uh, the way the chips fall on the table. But that's it, episode 60. We'll be back either soon or next week with the next episode of the Phoenix Suns podcast here on Bright Side of the Sun. Thanks for listening.